Hi, this is Edwin Crozier of the Franklin Church of Christ in Franklin, Tennessee. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. In today's lesson, which was presented to the Franklin Church on August 10th, 2008, we have a special treat for you. One of our members, Jonathan Gilbert, presented a lesson to help us overcome the sin which so easily entangles us. No doubt this will be a great lesson to help us in our daily walk with the Lord. So open your Bible and get ready to learn how to overcome the sin which so easily entangles us. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, while there are a lot of things that we could, cho- we could choose to focus our time on this evening, I'm simply going to pull out a small phrase from that very first verse where, Paul, where the writer here discusses or makes a comment about the sin which so easily entangles us. All of us have at one time or another felt this feeling of being entangled in the sins that are around us. And no matter how hard we try to overcome them, no matter how hard we try to resist, we still find or we still feel that we are just simply entangled in the sins and in the temptations that Satan puts before us. You know, each of us in our own lives, we have, we have certain kinds of sins that perhaps entangle us more than others do. And perhaps it's because in our past life we have developed habits that have caused these sins to, uh, to now plague us. It could be that in our spiritual weakness, even overcoming these very sins has become something that we struggle with on a day-to-day basis. But what I want us to talk about tonight and what I want us to think about is how do we overcome these sins which, so, which as he says here, so easily entangle us? Because if we want to one day reach heaven, if we want to one day be with God, we have to figure out a way of overcoming these things. And if you're like me, we've heard sermons several times that say, lay aside your sin. That say, get rid of it and put it away. And sometimes we, we focus so much on you need to do this, and we don't oftentimes think about, well, how do I go about doing that? And so that's what I want us to talk about tonight. I'm not guaranteeing, I'm not saying I'm going to give us all the answers. But I want us to think for a little bit about how can we overcome the sins that we deal with every day in our lives. Well, before we begin actually looking at the, at, at the, the methods or the, the strategies perhaps for overcoming these sins, let's consider for a moment why it is that, or let's, sorry, let's understand a few points about sin before we begin. We begin with the fact that sin has a great power over our flesh, and that's one of the reasons why it so easily entangles us. In Galatians 5 and verse 17, Paul writes that the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. They are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things of which you please. You see, every day within us we have this war going on between the Spirit and the flesh. We know what's right and we know what we want to do. But then there's the flesh that, that pulls against us and entices us into the worldly lust, into the temptations that Satan puts before us. Our spirit knows what we ought to do. Our flesh, however, is weak. And that's why sin is so powerful. It, pray, it, 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 
It preys upon those areas in our life where we are the weakest. And it exposes them, and it causes us to be weak, and it causes us to sin. But perhaps another reason, and, and something that I'm sure that we will all agree with, is the reason that we sometimes get entangled in sin is because sin is so close to us. Everywhere we look, everywhere we turn, there is sin all around us. You can't turn on the TV, you can't really turn on the radio or fire up the Internet or even pick up a newspaper anymore without reading about some type of bad thing that's going on, without being tempted by something that's there on the TV or on the computer, or even when you're carrying on a conversation at work. Sin is all around us. And so with it being so close to us and, and so easily accessible, how can we not become entangled in it? And further, sin does not remain separate from our life. In fact, what it begins to do is it begins to mingle into our life. And even every motive and everything that we do becomes entangled up and becomes wrapped up in these sins. It isn't categorically separated. We can't say, well, here's where my righteousness ends, and here is where my sin begins. What sin begins to do is it begins to weave its way into every fabric of our life in all of our duties and all of our motives and all of our thoughts and all of our actions, it becomes a part of a part of who we are. If you think about it, in Romans chapter seven, when Paul cries out, when he says, Oh wretched man that I am, why does he say that? We think about Paul and how great he was, but he makes this cry out in Romans seven, he says, Oh wretched man that I am. Why? Because that sin in his life, had entangled him, and it had become a part of who he was. And he realized that, that battle that was going on between the spirit and the flesh, and he realized that, that too often he succumbed to the temptations of the flesh rather than being strong in the spirit. Sin is powerful. I'm not going to stand up here and pretend that, it's, that it should be easy for us to overcome it. It's not. It's, it's powerful. It's all around us. It becomes, it weaves its way into the fabric of who we are if we allow it to. And so we become easily entangled, as the writer says here. But if we're going to be the kind of Christians that God wants us to be, if we're going to be the kind of servants that we ought to be in this world, then we have to learn to overcome that sin. We have to learn to put it aside. We have to learn to lay it down and to leave it there and to not come back to it. And so the question is, how do we do that? How do we go about putting aside these sins so that we can never come back to them? Well, let's begin by never underestimating the seriousness of our sins. There we go. I was talking with someone recently who was going through some, some pretty trying times in her life. And, and some of the sins that she, had, that she had committed just didn't quite resonate with her. And she, and she made the statement, I don't see what the big deal is. It's not like I went out and did X, Y, and Z. What's the big deal? And sometimes I'm afraid that we fall into that category. We look at the sins that we have in our life and we think, well, you know, I could do a lot worse. I could be doing this or I could be doing this, but I'm only really doing this. 
when we get to the point where we're not taking our sins very seriously, we're in danger. When we underestimate the seriousness of our sins and the consequences of them, we're doing ourselves a great disservice. We have to remember the wages of sin is death. We have to remember that not only does sin separate us from our God, but there are consequences that we face here on this, in this life. Sin steals joy out of our life. It ruins our, our, our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you realize what our sin can do in our efforts in evangelism? How that can hinder us? How the sin that we have in our life can hinder us from doing good for someone else? You see, sin not only is going to have repercussions later on in, our, in, in, our spirit, in the spiritual life when we stand before God in judgment, our sins will have repercussions right now for us. In the 38th Psalm, David wrote this. He says, There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. He'll say later on in that same chapter, I am full of anxiety because of my sin. You see, sin is, is something that infects us like a disease. And if we don't do something about it, they're going to, we're going to suffer the consequences in this life and in the life to come. But the most, the most serious thing that takes place, the worst thing that happens to us, is that we violate that, that relationship that we have with God. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. Psalm chapter 5 and verse 4. If we want to dwell with God, if we want to have that relationship with Him, the sins that are in our life are not small. We, can't, we, we can never fall into that, into that category where we think about big sins and little sins. Because there's no such thing. A sin in our life is a sin in our life. Whether we view it as small or, or, or great, God views it as sin. And as long as that sin is there, we are separated from Him. I've done it. I, I, I've, I'm sure we all have. We've all, we've all sat and thought, well, I'm really not that bad. Well, if we're sinning, yes, we are that bad. And so one of the first things we have to do before we can become untangled from sin is we have to realize the seriousness of it. The second thing then that we need to do is we need to strongly purpose and promise God that we are not going to sin. And by that, I, I, literally, I, I literally mean that we need to each morning get up and we need to say out loud, God, today I am not going to sin. Today, Father, I do not want to break your law. I love you, Father, and I want to do what's right. I am going to make my best effort today, Father, not to sin. Please help me so that I won't. You see, we have to make that, that promise. We have to literally be willing to look at ourselves in the mirror and say out loud if we have to to ourselves, today I am not going to sin. You realize that David did that? David did that very thing. Turn in your Bible to Psalm chapter 119. We could spend our entire sermon in Psalm 119 if we wanted to, and actually we're going to come back here a couple of times, so you may want to keep your marker there. But in Psalm 119 and in verse 106, we're all familiar with verse 105 in Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet 
and a light to my path. But listen to verse 106. I have sworn, and I will confirm it, that I will keep your righteous ordinances. David had made a promise. David had sworn that he was going to keep the law of God. I believe that we should do the exact same thing. If we want to become untangled from the sin that we have in our life, then we have to, we have to promise ourselves, we have to promise God that we're not going to do those things anymore. Skip down to verse 32, or skip up, rather, to verse 32 of Psalm 119. I think this is a beautiful verse. He says, I shall run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. I'm sure you've probably heard this before, but, but I, think it, I think it goes along well with this particular point. One of the things that, that makes marathon runners and long-distance runners, one of the things that makes them different from everybody else is their heart muscles become enlarged. Because of all the running that they do and because of, of how much more their heart has to work to keep blood going throughout the body as they're going on these long runs, their heart becomes enlarged, or those heart muscles become enlarged to help make sure that that continues. Well, that's exactly what we're talking about here. We're talking about having that type of enlarged heart of service unto God. You see, a marathon runner's heart does not become large just, just because one day they wake up and those muscles have become larger and now they can go and do all, do all these things. A marathon runner's heart, heart muscles become enlarged because they devote themselves to that continuous running. They devote themselves to that training. They have promised themselves that they are going to train and they are going to finish what they started. Well, that's exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about running the race. We're talking about finishing it. We're, talk, we're talking about needing those heart muscles to be enlarged in service unto God. I believe that, that if we wake up every morning and we literally stop and we, we take a few minutes and we, we make this promise to ourselves and we make this promise to God, we're going to go a long way in overcoming the sins that we have in our life. Because when we're tempted to, to commit that sin, the thought that, well, wait a minute, I made a promise this morning that I wasn't going to do that. That's going to come into our mind. And maybe a few times we ignore it and we continue on with the sin. But I believe that the more we promise ourselves and the more we devote ourselves and the more we remind ourselves, the less likely we're going to become to break that promise. But you see, it's an attitude. It's a devotion that we make. If we make a promise to somebody else, that, yeah, I, you know, if I promise Gordon, I'm going to show up on Friday to help, to, to help you move. If I don't show up, I'm going to feel bad about breaking that promise to God. Well, that's the same thought. Make that promise to ourselves and make that promise to God. And we don't want to feel bad when we break that promise. Well, how, about, how about a third thing? Be suspicious of our own spirituality. Now, it sounds kind of, it sounds kind of weird. Maybe I should use the term that Paul used, or use the, uh, the phrase that Paul said. When he, when he referenced it by saying, let the one who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Or how about what Job said in Job 31 and verse 1 where he said, I made a covenant with my eyes. How then can I gaze upon a virgin? He said, I've got to be careful where I look because I don't trust myself. I've got to start uh, to watch 
to watch out for what I look at because I don't trust myself. How many of us have, have, have gotten to this point where we feel very strong in our spirituality, we feel like we've come a long way and we feel like we've overcome and, you know, I haven't succumbed to temptation in a long time and I'm really feeling good about myself and then that's when I'm, I'm tempted and I sin and I realize that I've fallen. I think a lot of us have been at that point. We've been at that point where we felt very strong spiritually and it was at that very point when we've got, when we've fallen and we've become humble because we allowed ourselves to sin. The writer of the book of Proverbs says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You see, there's a certain watchfulness that we must have about our spiritual life. We must realize that, that we have to always be growing, that we have to always be adding things to our faith. You know, the, the seducing motions of our heart can sometimes rise out of the moment when we feel the strongest. When we feel like we have really made, made great strides, when we feel like we've overcome that, and I'm, I'm, I'm better than that now, is a lot of the times when Satan tries to hit us and tries to take our legs out from under. In a lot of ways, this is a point about us being humble in our spirituality. Realizing that we always have steps to take. Realizing that there is always another temptation that is awaiting us. There's always another test that we need to overcome. I'm not saying we can never look at our life and, and, and feel like we've come a long way. I think it's good at times to look back at where we were and then perhaps take stock of where we are and see how we've grown in the Lord. But while we're doing that, let us not forget that Satan's still working. He's still looking for an area where he can trip us up. And so we should always be mindful of our own, spirit, our own spiritual strength. Not giving Satan that, that end to bring us down. Number four, resisting the first risings of the flesh and its pleasure. If you have your Bible, turn over to James chapter 1 with me. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. James writes, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. For each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. We don't need to try and stop sin at the point of birth. We need to try and stop sin at the point of conception. Instead of waiting for the very moment when we are, when we are entangled in the sin or when we are enticed to, or, you know, to uh, commit the sin, rather than waiting for that moment to pray for strength and, and to pray for, for boldness, we should be praying for boldness and for strength during the times when we're not being enticed, when we're not being tempted. Instead of, instead of waiting for the sin to come at us and be reactive to it, why not be proactive? 
and building up our strength and building up our endurance and building up our defenses against what Satan is going to throw at us. We want to stop sin at the conception, not after it's conceived, not after it's run through a certain period, not, not at the point when it's about to give birth into the sin. We can't really try and stop it at that point. We have to stop it much earlier. And what that means for us is that we have to sit down and we have to take stock of our life and we have to be willing to honestly look at ourselves and admit the areas where we are weak. And we have to be willing to pray and, and ask for help in those areas. So that when that temptation comes along, that's not the first time we thought about it. Rather, we've prepared ourselves for it. And we've, we've promised ourselves that we're not going to commit that sin. We're not letting the sin give birth. We're stopping it at the point of conception. We're being proactive with our faith. We're being offensive in this war against Satan, in this war against sin. Because we remember that the, from the very outset that our goal is to serve God and to keep His commandments. It's not to please ourselves. It's not for the pleasure of this life. Rather, it's to go to heaven. And it's to be with Him. Part of how we do that is our next point, in that we meditate on the Word of God. Back in the book of Psalms, in Psalm chapter 37, the psalmist makes a beautiful point concerning, concerning this idea of, of dwelling on the Word of God. In Psalm chapter 37, beginning in verse, uh, beginning in verse 27, he writes, "Depart from evil and do good, so that you will abide forever. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of God is in his heart, and his steps." Do not slip. I think that's the idea there of the, of the law of God being in his heart and his steps do not slip. This, his steps are laid out before him by the Word of God. It's not as if he's walking blind through this life. It's not as if he doesn't know where he's going. His steps have been laid out by the Word of God and because that Word is in his heart, he is not going to slip and fall. When a heart is controlled by the Word of God, that heart doesn't fall. That heart doesn't slip. That heart stays continually on the path that leads to righteousness. In Psalm 119, again in verse 9, David asked the question, How can a young man keep his way pure? How can he lay aside the sins that he has in his life? How can he remain faithful unto God? Well, he turns in that very same verse and he answers the question by saying, by keeping it according to thy word, by guarding his life with Scripture, by guarding his life with the Word of God. That's how one stays on the path of righteousness. And brethren, that's how we become untangled from the sins that we have in our life is we spend time meditating on the Word of God. This same young lady that I, that I was talking to that I referenced earlier, one of the things that, 
that she's, that she's talked about is the fact that, well, I can't stop thinking about these things. I can't get these things out of my mind. I don't know what to think about. And I told her, we've got to take, we've got to take the bad thoughts out. We've got to put good thoughts back in. And one of the ways that we do that is we spend time reading where the good thoughts come from. We spend time reading the Word of God. Rather than dwelling on the things that the world has to offer us, rather than dwelling on sin and temptations and everything else, we've got to push those things out and we've got to replace them by these good things. We've got to replace them by the things that are pure and wholesome and lovely and good. And the only way we do that is we spend time reading and meditating and studying His Word. It has to get to the point where, as Paul says in Colossians 3 and verse 16, that the Word of God dwells in us richly. That when temptation comes, comes to us, we think on to the Word of God. That when we are, when we are tempted to, to participate in something or to think something or to say something, that the Word of God that dwells in us richly rises up and helps to discourage us from committing that sin. But the only way that that, that can happen is if we take the time, if we use our time wisely, and we spend time in His Word. Because sin and temptation are always there. There's always another temptation right around the corner. There's always another opportunity to sin that is ever right there in front of us. And if we're going to be able to overcome that, if we're going to be able to battle against that, then we've got to have the sword of the Spirit ever handy with us. And maybe we don't, maybe we don't physically have it all, all the time with us, and we're not always carrying it around with us, but we always have it in our heart. And we're always, we're always ready and able to rely upon it for our defense. So we constantly think on it. We constantly meditate on it and spend time with it. But then when those times come, when even we've tried our hardest and we, we allow ourselves and we choose to sin, we need to be, be willing to immediately repent over the sins that we have. We need to realize immediately where, when we have sinned and what we have done wrong, and we need to repent. Not allowing the sin to fester and, and, and to grow within us, but rather to immediately purge it from our, from our conscience and from our heart. On the night when, when Jesus was betrayed, and when he was taken and he was on trial before, uh, before the Sanhedrin, and they were, they were mocking him, and they were slapping him, and they were throwing all these false accusations against him, you remember the story how Peter was out in the courtyard. And we all know what, what Peter did three times before the rooster crowed. He denied Christ those three times, saying he didn't, he didn't know the man, cursed and swore that he had never been with him. And then the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered what, what Jesus had said to him. And we're told that Jesus turned and looked at Peter, and then Peter went out and wept bitterly because of his sin. Now, I know at times we may want to ridicule Peter, and perhaps rightly so, for his denial of Christ. But I think we also need to learn a lesson from Peter 
along this very line, that when he realized what he had done, there was an immediacy to get it fixed. And we know what Peter went on to become. We know, we know how instrumental he was in spreading the gospel and, and the writings that we have from him. That's the type of attitude that we need to have. That when, that when we, we realize that we have sinned and we have fallen and we have allowed Satan to tempt us to sin, immediately we need, to, we need to stop everything else and say, Lord, forgive me for what I have done. Lord, I realize that I have sinned. Forgive me of that sin. And Lord, I don't want to do that anymore. And I think we need to add, I think that, that part there at the very end needs to be there. And we don't want to commit that sin anymore. It's not the idea that, Lord, I sinned and please forgive me, but maybe later on I'll do it again and then I'll ask for forgiveness again. No, the genuineness of our repentance needs to say, Lord, I don't want to commit that again because I feel how it, because I know how it felt to be separated from You. I know what my sin has done. And I don't want to be there again. And I would encourage us along this line, when, when we realize these lapses that we have, that we have succumbed to and these sins that we have committed, when we're, praying, when we're praying to God for forgiveness, say them specifically. Let your, own, let your own ears hear you say the sin that you have committed. Whatever it is. Because there's something about hearing yourself, hearing yourself say it, that frankly kind of makes ought to kind of make us feel a little disgusted because of what we've done. But you see, what Satan wants us to do is he wants us to commit these sins and say, "Yeah, you know, I know I did that, but I'll repent of it tonight." You know, before I go to bed, when I when I say when I say my evening prayer, or you know, we're going to be you know we'll be at service we'll be at church tomorrow morning. You know, I'll make sure and pray about it then. Because what he wants us to do is he wants us to put it off until we we begin to forget about the fact that we've separated ourselves from God because of our sins, and he wants us to put it off until maybe we don't care about it as much anymore. He wants us to put it off so maybe it doesn't burn as much and doesn't hurt as much. And he wants us to put it off one time too many. So that we can die in that state where those sins have separated us from God. You see, this goes back to the very first point that we made. If we understand the seriousness of our sin, as soon as we commit that sin and we realize what we've done, we're going to stop everything else and we're going to get that sin removed from our record. So that we have that relationship again with God and so that we're no longer tangled up in the grips of those things. And as we repent of these sins, as we realize these things that, that, that we have problems with in our life, we need to continually be praying for the divine help that God offers us. You know, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul there writes about putting on the armor of Christ and guarding ourselves with all those pieces of armor but do you, do you remember the very last thing that he talks about? In Ephesians chapter 6, and in verse 18, 
beginning of verse 10, he talks about putting on all the armor of, all the armor of God. You come down to verse 17, he talks about taking the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, and with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. After all the armor is put on, the battle and, and the battle against Satan has commenced and everything is going on and we are engaged in it, Paul encourages us to pray always. Jesus encouraged his disciples. He says, watch and pray, for you know not when you're going to enter into the hour of temptation. Paul will say in Colossians 4 and verse 2, devote yourself to prayer, being always alert in it. Not only do we put on the armor of God as we go out to battle, but we are constantly and continually praying to God, asking for His help. Again, we start our day, or we should start our day, literally sitting up in our bed and saying the prayer, just like Jesus taught us to pray. Lord, lead me not into temptation today. Lord, I know I'm going to be tempted today. Help me to overcome it. And again, let's be specific in the things that we say. Lord, I know I'm going to be tempted to look at, to, to look at a woman and lust after her. Help me to control my thoughts. Help me to control my eyes. Lord, I know today I'm going to be tempted to, to, to say things that I shouldn't say. I'm going to be tempted to laugh at a joke that I know is inappropriate. I'm going to be tempted to participate in something that I know, Father, that I should not do. Help me not to do that. And the things that I may pray about may not be the things that you pray about. But it's this idea that we're constantly asking for the help of God in our service to Him. And, you know, maybe these are the kind of habits that we need to form. And it might feel strange at first. And I feel strange every, every morning sitting up and saying, Lord, I know today I'm going to be tempted to do this. But if that's what it takes for us to overcome and to become untangled from the sins that we have in our life, shouldn't we be willing to do it? Isn't that important enough that we should take those steps? If you're anything like me, and I hope you're not, but I always want to do things on my own. I want to do it myself. I'm a stubborn man. I don't want to ask questions. I don't want to ask for help. But we cannot do this by ourselves. We cannot do this by ourselves. Why would we want to fight this battle when God is there and he, all, all we have to do is ask Him and rely upon Him and, and use His strength rather than try and use our own. I, I think this, this perhaps is a lesson that we all need to learn, that we all need to realize, and, and perhaps all need to make a little bit or make it more of a part of our lives. And to that point, the final, the, the, the final thing that I want us to, to discuss this evening is establishing relationships with other believers that can hold us accountable. See, again, we cannot do this by ourselves. We cannot win this battle alone. And so why would we try? When we have our God and Father in Heaven who is willing to strengthen us, and while we have brothers and sisters who are physically here with us to help lift us up and to make us strong.
because we're all in the same boat together. We're all trying to get to the same place. We're all trying to go to heaven. We're all trying to serve God to the greatest and to the utmost of our ability. And so why not lean upon each other and use one another? Isn't that what, what Paul talked about in Galatians chapter 6? When he, when he encouraged us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ? We all struggle in the same way. We all struggle with sin. Maybe the sins that, that I struggle with or the temptations that I struggle with aren't the exact same things that you struggle with. But there's somebody who, who struggles with the same thing. And even if you can't find somebody who struggles with the exact same thing that you struggle with, we can still be there to, to lift one another up and to encourage each other. And I can still come to you and say, Brother, I have a problem with this. And I need you to call me. And I need you to let me call you sometimes when I'm tempted to do this and us pray together. You've heard Edwin talk about this. You know, Edwin's preached this in sermons a lot recently. Now, I don't mean to be repeating the things that he says, but I think there's a lot of importance to it. Paul says, if a man is caught in a, in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Each one, look into yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. Part of being a, a member of the family of God is being there for each other. It's helping each other. But you can't know what I'm dealing with unless I come to you and say, brother, here's the problem that I'm having. And I can't know what you're dealing with unless you reciprocate and, and, and open up to me. And that, it, at times that feels really weird. It feels odd to be able to, to, to do that because we don't, want to, we don't want to consider ourselves weak. But we're all striving to, to reach the same goal. We're all striving for the goal of heaven and, and to be there together one day with God and with all the faithful who have gone on before us. So how are we going to come to the place where we can lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us? Well, how is it that we're going to, to put aside those sins which we tend to fall into over and over again? I wish, you know, I wish it, was, it was as easy as flipping on a light switch. But it is. And I, I hope I hope that, I, that, that the impression that I've given you this evening is, I hope I haven't made you feel like, well, it should be easy for us to do, because, because I know it isn't. But if we truly want to go to heaven, if we honestly and truly want to be there, then we're going to do whatever it takes to overcome the sins that we have in our lives. We're going to realize the seriousness of the sins that we commit. We're going to purpose and we're going to promise God that we're not going to sin and we're not going to allow ourselves to continually fall into those things. We're going to, be, we're going to always be suspicious of our spirituality and making sure that we're always striving for greater things. We're going to resist the first risings of the flesh. We're going to, we're going to prepare ourselves beforehand. We're going to meditate on the Word of God. We're going to be immediately repentant when we sin and when we fall short. We're going to continually pray for God's help and we're going, to, we're going to look around and we're going to find a brother or a sister or several brothers and sisters to help us be accountable 
to God and to resist the temptations that we face. I would say that there's no better place for us to start this kind of life pattern than, than, than right here tonight. This morning we were, we were uh, studying the, the book of uh, Haggai in, in, in the Minor Prophets class. And one of the things that impressed me a lot about, about that book was when, when Haggai brought the, the, word of, the Word of God to Zerubbabel and told him that they, didn't know, they no longer needed to leave the Lord's house lying in ruins, but they needed to rise up and to build it rather than building their own houses. They, it, it says that when they heard that, they immediately began doing the work. They didn't wait for a, for a better opportunity. They, they didn't sit around and talk about it and think about it. They realized the work had to be done, and they immediately began doing it. Well, if we're entangled in sin, if we're wrapped up in it, what Satan wants us to do is he wants us to wait about it rather than doing something about it right now. There's no better time than for us to come to God and to become untangled from these sins and then begin doing these things so that we can continually overcome what Satan puts in front of us. The answer may really be in the text that we started with, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, where the Hebrew writer says, we are to, we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. There's only been one who has ever overcome sin Completely, never falling, never wavering, never giving in. And that was Jesus Christ. Perhaps, as he says, fixing our eyes on him, making him our model, making him our example. That's where it begins. I certainly hope today's lesson edified you and glorified God. If you have any questions about this lesson or if you have any spiritual needs or prayer requests, please feel free to call us at 615-794-2359. Or you can contact us through our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com. Also, if you're ever in the Middle Tennessee area, we would love to meet you. Feel free to be our guest in any of our classes or our assemblies. You can find a schedule of our meeting times and directions to our building on our website. Again, that's franklinchurchofchrist.com. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.